Hey Dave, I've got this game I really want to tell you about. Alright, um, I'm skeptical. I have a couple questions then. Yeah, that's fine. Shoot. Day one DLC? Nope. Full game on release? Yep. Is the story derivative? Nope. Does it have a good narrative? Yep. Do your saves cost money? Nope. Is the song really punny? Yep. Is it always online? Nope. Was it released on time? Yep. Stealing models from games? Nope. Getting 60 plus frames. Yep. Is the game still in beta? Yep. Seriously? I kickstarted that like two years ago. What the hell, man? Seriously, what the hell? Hey everybody, welcome again to another episode of The Soapstone. I am Dave, joined as always by my co-host, Jake. How's it going tonight, Dave? It's going right, buddy. Uh, today I was hoping we could talk a little bit about when it's done. What makes a game complete? in this current year yeah what year is it <laughs> 2018 i'm told by sources yeah good year. good year maybe we'll see what we'll see what happens there's a lot of games i'm looking forward to this year that hopefully don't end up as negative examples i like how your optimism spiraled into uh very <laughs> conservative cautiousness yeah you gotta be a little cautious well i fucked up that sentence that's but basically, fine. I kind of wanted to talk about some of the, the goods and bads of how games get released and what we expect from games that come out. Some of the diversity and disparity between indie games, free-to-play, early access, something that like soul, one sole developer does and makes their passion and make a great game versus some of the other ones which are just flops. Mm-hmm. I actually like that. I like that uh, diversity and disparity. We should have named the podcast this. Well, disparity is such a good word in general. Yeah. I Just mean, like it's not great, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Disparity. Great. I love the difference in wealth between classes. <laughs> There's no class warfare. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, we, we have uh, talked about this just a little bit, kind of on, on the side, and it's... Uh, something that we all have to deal with i think as gamers now we've all i think made a purchase at some point probably recently where we're like i wish this game was just a little bit more done and a little bit less rare <laughs> you know it doesn't have to be all the way thoroughly cooked but the only rare that's okay is the old rareware days yeah back on n64 mm. not even a big rareware fan but they had some good games, though. There were some classics in there, for sure. You know what made those games good, Dave? They were feature complete. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you just got everything on a disc or a cartridge, and that was that? Yeah. You Holy literally, shit. literally couldn't add more features. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, except for Game Genie, technically. Yeah. That was more of a, a cheat yeah. to work around, not necessarily extra content. It usually probably wasn't providing DLC-level stuff for your game, but... So while we're on the topic of DLC, what are your thoughts and prayers about it? So I probably when DLC came out, I was a massive skeptic of it, as I think many people were. I was like, all right, there's already been some precedent for games releasing 
free content uh, post-launch uh, to kind of like round out their product a little bit. Mm-hmm. And more common than that, you'd probably see like full expansion packs. Um, but as it's gone on, I've become more and more, I don't know if the word's conditioned, but I can kind of accept that DLC is part of the ecosystem now. It definitely is now, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's just a different thing. I don't think it on on its own makes it good or bad. It's just a very different change. Because when we grew up, you'd go to Blockbuster to get a movie. And the movie was what it was. It's just a feature-length film. Right. And that was that. There weren't additional things you would get afterwards. If you were like renting a DVD or you had the DVD, you did get special features on the side to get a little bit of a behind the scenes. Right. But that was all again one package. And if they made a sequel, at that point it's considered a separate transaction. Right. Yeah, it's uh kind of distinct products that are available for you there. Mhm. Um and usually like if if DLC or something like that or an expansion came out back in the day, uh, it could add a significant amount of content to your game. If it didn't, it was seen as like a huge ripoff. Whereas right now, I feel like we have a pretty huge range for what's considered acceptable for DLC. Like sometimes it's just a, a couple extra characters in a game. Maybe they're skins. Like microtransactions have broken everything down to scale ridiculously. Yeah. And you couldn't do microtransactions with the N64. Not easily. They did have those hotlines, which probably, <laughs> for tips and stuff, those probably were as expensive on a bad day. I forgot those existed, actually. I know, yeah. No, they, they found their way to make money even before all this DLC stuff. But to again tout some of the good mm-hmm. um, possible things for DLC, because uh, sometimes that game's fully released, or it's just it's out there, free to play, it is what it is. And the DLC is just something that the creator wants to add on for the experience of the player. Right. And it's not necessarily extra story or gameplay, but it might just be something cosmetic or going back and like fixing things. Like You see that with a lot of indie games, I feel. Is it, but do fixes usually come through in DLC? I don't mean fixes as in like hard patches for bugs. Mm-hmm. But something I've been playing, like Slay the Spire, I guess it is just patches that they keep updating things. Right, they're adding content to it. Yeah. And it's kind of just because the game's still early access and still under development. Yeah. Which is nice because you're you're in on that, quote, ground floor, Mm -hmm. and things are still improving. So you are getting even more of a return on your investment. Yeah, and I think Slay the Spire is, like, probably one of the top recent... Uh, successes with uh, kind of the early access model there's a lot of games i think that haven't necessarily done it as well do you have an example in mind i do have an example in mind uh it's not even a game that's necessarily bad and i think we we well i know we both played it recently uh seven days to die is another game that's been in early access for a long time um seven days to die has been in early access for five years which is half a decade and it's kind of, I think, representative of this model where games just don't get finished and they stay in early access forever. Is there a benefit to them doing that? I mean, 
So besides the tagline of "Well, it's not it's not done yet," right? Don't give me your harsh judgment and criticism because it's still in early access. I think that's most of it. I think you basically nailed it. It's like you you can't the community can like rush to defend a game if they have the ammunition. Hey, it's like it's still an alpha. It's, it's still in just beta. a baby. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why are you picking on it so much? In another five years, see, they never say in another five years. They're yeah. like they'll get around. They'll they'll wrap this up. But it's uh, sometimes you you can be dangerous with that optimism when it comes to early access games. And other ones, I mean, like have been in early access for a while that are pretty successful or still fun, and I feel like they're using. The constant development model to more success um two examples i have for that are uh, factorio which is like overwhelmingly positive on steam oh yeah and it's just like the love child of the creator right it's it's just absolutely amazing how much work has been put into that game but factorio uh, without getting too deep into the game is clearly one that was designed um and the sustainable continual development uh, structure, basically. Like, it's a creative game. It's a very free-form game. It's a game where that type of... Um, there's no necessarily, like, goal-ending narrative that you're working towards. And so it's a lot easier, I feel like, to pull off that kind of game in early access. So similar to Minecraft, you don't actually have... At least it didn't initially have an end goal... You're just going there to be creative and explore what mechanics you can right. exploit in the world. Yeah, it's kind of like, I feel like sandboxy games are probably way easier to pull off with early access. Um, there's, I, I actually have another example for this, and this uh, we didn't really talk about, but uh, Slime Rancher was actually early access for a while. And uh, it was overwhelmingly positive, even in early access and i picked the game up because it like looks super chill and it was actually quite fun but it does have even though it's very open it has a narrative it has a story and i got like partially kind of through this and i was like oh the next area like hasn't been opened yet it's not implemented and you kind of just get like this downer right like if you've ever played an early access game and you in- reach the end of the narrative content it's like why isn't there more? Yeah. It's like you, you started a Netflix season. You're like, I'm binging it. I'm binging it. They're yeah. like, hey, the other episodes aren't out yet. You're like, what is this, HBO? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's weird to have what you'd consider to be, as a player, an abrupt stopping point mm-hmm. taking you from content. Because you're not going to... You might schedule for like updates, like, hey, let me know if things change for this. Right. But typically, it's me waiting three months somebody messaging or reading on a subreddit offhand oh hey this thing updated i'm like oh i had no idea right then i'll go back and i'll play it for a little bit but the initial enjoyment and wanderlust has been segregated a little bit right because now like you're kind of going back to check up versus i'm getting into a game right and for like a narrative game that could mean that you know you've lost your progress because the save game format has changed or something like that in a recent update. And not all games are conducive to starting over from the beginning with full motivation. I feel like Slime Rancher is fine for that because it's like a farming game. Similar it's very to... whimsical. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you had like, like, God forbid, a first person shooter or something like that, 
or some other linear story-based game, and you're just like, all right, new exp- new new content drop. Everybody saves are cleared. Play through it again. It's like that's that's rough. Yeah. Thankfully, I can't think of any examples where that happens. Right. We might have weeded them out. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know if that's true though. But I think early access, even though it has its faults, and I mean, there's plenty of games that don't uh, kind of lend themselves to the format. Um, or one of the biggest issues, I think, I mean, we didn't even address this. Games can go into early access. People can buy in because they're like, this is a great concept. Mm-hmm. And then it gets like abandoned. Um, that can, that can definitely happen. Like, uh, I don't know the current development status of a game like Daisy, but I think the consensus is basically that a lot of people enjoyed the mod like significantly more than this full standalone release and it's very so there's some very jarring reviews in there about how they feel like this is just never going to be completed now would you say that there's an onus on whoever made the standalone game to complete that or because it was early access they've kind of set up front this may or may not be completed and that's enough for them to kind of cut ties if they feel like it I think you could definitely make an argument that a lot of it is on the consumer here because at the start of at the front page of all of these early access games you have that disclaimer why is the game in early access and it's almost always the same thing we want to fund development we expect it'll be done yeah. at some point within the next however long and we want the community to be the community to be a part of the development process that's the most positive spin you can put on it literally everyone uses that message though so it doesn't necessarily mean anything and to a certain extent, I feel like the really fun games that kind of get full value out of early access are propping up some of those like garbage games because you're like, man, yeah, I love Factorio. Like that's still an early access. It's been, you know, around for two years and it still hasn't released. And I think it's, I've gotten my 30 bucks out of that. Right. New game comes out and you're like, sweet. I love like first-person shooter deck building games this is exactly what i want and which is not a game that would be really weird um unless it's a great idea in which case i called it but uh i think that they kind of write off of some of that hype like the fact that some games are amazing and in early access so the spire is really good props up the whole in the whole industry i mean i think you have to take each one as an individual case also what you described sounds a little bit like paragon which is why it got flamed mm. into the ground and abandoned i thought it was because nobody played it <laughs> that, that too it was just me <laughs> and a bunch of bots <laughs> but it's like saying oh i saw this really great youtuber youtube must have mm. a lot of good content Tuber. but as you've seen from youtube because it is a very free form you can kind of upload almost whatever right it will range entirely <laughs> it has There's, everything it's not controlled by a single source mm-hmm. it's not gated off like if you have a television show on a network they say this is okay to be content this will be able to generate ad revenue for us right and this is content that we want to be associated with mm-hmm. whereas really- early access and steam you're kind of just hey it's here like the wild mm-hmm. west there's some good cowboys out there so i'll i'm fine with all cowboys yeah 
and then you know it really depends and i think a lot of that would then come down to like i for myself as a steam user i'm like oh let me see the reviews is this wildly positive okay so maybe there is something to it maybe we should look into it a little more watch some of the trailers see if it's my type of gameplay and go from there i think that's actually a really good point community reviews without community reviews you wouldn't have this kind of uh, first layer shield against early access games to say like is this really the uh, valuable interesting engaging game that it looks like based off of the trailer i would say even past those types of games or even games in general how likely are you to see a movie by the trailer alone without checking its rotten tomato score or looking other comments about it online. Right. I don't actually see that many Or movies, a book so or anything else. It would have to be pretty hype. You usually need some type of recommendation or word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I feel. I think that's true. I think it's definitely true. And that's probably how I've avoided being, for the most part, burned on early access games. Um, I don't want to just sit here and trash a bunch of games but i mean i've i've had some misses where even if the game had a really good premise or it comes out and it's like you know got positive reviews or whatever like i played um conan exiles it's kind of like a uh, survival crafting pvp like experience you're like building fortresses and stuff Minecraft, yeah yeah it's it's like that it had like really good graphics and um bunch of bugs but Funcom was like, hey, early access model is going to fund this development. And I know it's got a lot of expansions since then, or not expansions, but uh, patches since then. And I'm sure it's added like a lot of interesting content. They fixed a lot of problems I had with it. But the problem I had with it was I jumped in too early. If that game would have been so much more close to completion, and then I jumped in, and I'm like, man, this is so exciting. And I got all that like uh, it's something you kind of touch on a little bit, the hype that comes the first time you play a game, mm-hmm. you don't get that again. Like, you get one chance at that. And unless the game, like, blows your mind, you're not going to revisit it and be like, all right, hype V2, let's do this. And so, I mean, if you have a a really shallow early access launch and people just don't like your game or it has some issues, that can be the end of it. Like... There's not a lot of second chances when it comes to game launches. So what would you say is something you could do to avoid that situation going forward? Would you just read more reviews? Would you always just wait maybe like two or three weeks to see as things progress? I think uh, as the consumer that you have to read a lot of... You have to read a lot of reviews if you're going for picking up like an early access game Um, if you're picking up something in development i mean like platforms like kickstarter are usually like shot in the dark unless you know the people running the kickstarter and that's different right um but early access you're you immediately have something playable right um and the nice thing about that is you do get those reviews i think i think you basically have to use those um and it's, it's a little bit depressing, but you kind of have to temper your hype for some things. Because I know, like, I'll impulse buy games if I'm just like, man, this hits, like, all of the categories I care about. Yeah. And I'm just like, this looks awesome. Um, and if the community gets there before me and was like, 
that's what we thought. We played it. It's not that great. That can be <laughs> the thing that actually saves me there. If I listen to them. If I'm willing to let my hype be curtailed just a little bit. So you'd say that there's some good in being the person on the ground floor if you're actually leaving reviews right. honest feedback. Yeah, I think I've left two. <laughs> my Steam thumbs account. up and thumbs down. <laughs> two separate games. Like two reviews since my Steam account started in like 2008. So, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> Get one every five I'm years. I'm here to tout your, your legacy Steam status. Yeah. One for every uh, seven days to die early access period, I release a new review. <laughs> <laughs> Though that's still an early access, so that might not be true. There's this weird bug where zombies keep spawning a lot on the seventh day. <laughs> Developers feature? Question mark? Bug? <laughs> Get on that. <laughs> but obviously early access isn't the only thing that could kind of hold a game back, you know, keep it from feeling complete in our eyes, right? Um, I played many other games that... Uh, weren't part of the early access system at all, and definitely didn't feel like they were feature complete at release. Oh, really? Do tell. <laughs> well, thanks for asking. Um, so, uh, to, to be fair, my my thought was just going transition and then just talking. So I think <laughs> yours worked out pretty good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways, the game I was thinking about was No Man's Sky. Uh, I picked it up at launch. A couple of my friends picked it up at launch. Why? Because so basically the hype right this actually ties back to the previous point maybe this is one of those games that actually helped me learn that lesson okay the uh the hype around the game was unreal and part of that was because you know developers hello games were just talking about it constantly regardless of whether the features like were in the game at launch or not and like the space simulation uh, genre of games is struggling a lot right now there's really not that many out there that are fun or good, um, especially at like the large scale. Um, and No Man's Sky was kind of uh, an entry into that that was supposed to like bring the genre back, basically. Um, other things in that field are kind of they're always kind of like a little crappy, or they never like get released. I'm thinking of like the X series, X two, X three, where it's like huge scale super super buggy barely barely playable till it's been patched like over the course of several months or um other games that have a lot of backing like star citizen where it's like maybe it'll come out someday um but this one was like yeah it's actually coming out and it's coming out on playstation which means it'll probably come (laughs) yeah it'll probably actually come out um but i should have been a lot more cautious about it and when those first reviews started to like be like yeah it's kind of i'm not really sure i should have paid more attention to that um but that was definitely a game that's a perfect example one that wasn't complete at launch based off of everything that was on the box and the fact that there is actually on the back of the box in like the eu they had like stickers over the multiplayer uh like rating basically mm-hmm. Um, for like the first run of boxes and things you're like hmm okay (laughs) yeah it seems like they promised a lot and then didn't deliver on a whole lot 
insert politics joke here, mm-hmm. but I had a very healthy dose of skepticism, but I'm cynical by nature anyway. Right. And it didn't, I'm not a huge space buff myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care about Star Trek, Star Wars, anything like that. Anything with Star in it, really. Yeah. Starcade, Starbomb. Well, Starbomb's pretty, pretty <laughs> decent, actually. Starbomb's pretty good. But it didn't pique my interest just from, like, a genre perspective. And it seemed like a better version of Minecraft, to a degree. You have some mm-hmm. exploration, you have some crafting, some building survival. Mm-hmm. You get to play with friends and such. But it didn't seem enough for, like, a new release purchase at a $60 price point. Right. And then... I still think to this day it's not actually multiplayer. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, it's it's basically correct. I think there's... I think you can share, like, templates so you can visit other people's bases, like, when they're not there, basically. So, like, the... And I could be wrong, because I haven't tracked all of the updates, so I don't want to say something that's completely out of place, but I believe that you can visit... Um, their structures or whatever while you're not there because that information is kind of shared in the cloud they can pull it down and render it locally but they don't do like two people being rendered in the same universe at the same time it's easier to share like level data than entities so theoretically could your friend be building a house and you go you're at that same location and you're seeing just a space house being built by magic it's not like real it's not like real time I think it's like snapshot. So oh, like, so you'd get a cached version. Exactly. I believe every so it. often. Something like that. Okay. If it's in there, that's that's probably how it works. That sounds multiplayer in the same way that Animal Crossing is multiplayer. <laughs> As in, if you go over to your friend's house, they play, they go on and show you their house, they log out, you log in, mm-hmm. go visit their house, start dropping trash in their house. I actually I don't remember if you can drop items in other people's houses. Maybe you could give it to their uh, gyroid. I couldn't tell you. I haven't really played Animal Crossing. All I know about that game is that all the animals are trying to convince you that there's a world beyond your area, but it's actually like post-apocalyptic death zone. I'm pretty sure that's canon. What? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, maybe back... I was miss- I missed part of that game. <laughs> back to uh, whatever we normally talk about. Um, no Man's Sky was kind of a good example of that for me. And there's there's been other games like that where I was dissatisfied with the state at launch, and I think the game became better over time because No Man's Sky like right now is actually pretty decent. Like you can actually play it, and uh, it still has a lot of the issues it had at launch, and it still is not what they promised at launch. But it's like not terrible. Maybe it's not worth sixty bucks, but. Yeah. Okay, so you're not really giving it very high praise. No, I, I think it's a good game now. No, I'm not knocking the fact that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like overall you were not happy with your purchase. Would you say that's true? That's true, yeah. I actually tried to refund it. <laughs> and did you try and refund it through Steam I or did. through other services? Yeah. Okay, so it was were around, you able to? I was not able to. Okay. And then I didn't follow through on that. I was a little beyond the um, <coughs> the minimum amount of time played or a couple hours beyond it, and I was just like, you know what, yeah, I mean, it's their policy, that's fine. Because um, when I did play the game before I realized how limiting it was, and this is, I think, one of the tricks when you're playing games like this, is that early uh, ramp up kind of into the game, 
uh, does not necessarily have to it's not necessarily indicative of what the rest of the game is going to be like and no man's sky was like that you're just like holy crap unknown universe all this stuff i'll go from planet to planet and then you realize that the fact that everything is kind of randomly generated makes it all really samey and there's not that much to tie it all together yeah and sometimes games have that they have that like initial high into a like a, a low peak and yeah. then you're just like oh no there's the drop and <laughs> it doesn't come back so what do you think would be like an adequate amount of time to assess a game i think with no man's sky being the example for this so this is like uh kind of a trend that's happened a little bit more recently where i'm going to tie this back to it but uh, in the past review copies of games were basically the way that your game gained any visibility right the fact that your game was on the front page of GameSpot, IGN, Destructoid, whatever, uh, Joysticks, would uh, basically be your advertisement. Yeah. And unless you were just like the top of the top AAA game in whatever gaming magazine, um, that was, you know, that was the way you got people to, to know about your game. So you didn't want reviews to happen after your game launched because you want people to buy your game, right? But with like the hype machine that is the internet and like personalized subreddits everything like that it's really easy to over promise on a game and have that like perpetually push hype forward and you don't need to rely on reviews as much like no man's sky actually sold really well at launch mm -hmm. even though some reviews are starting to come out and it's like oh, that's a little, a little sketch um i think that you need to complete a game in most cases, unless it's like Minecraft, <laughs> to uh, to really get an idea for uh, what the review for a game should be. What I'm saying more is of your evaluation as the consumer or the player. Okay. Do you think there should even be an evaluation period? Oh, do you mean for like... For like the option like to like refund, refund a game it? or something. So it's, it's pretty much impossible to do 100%, right? because there's games that are less than two hours long. So you, there's some games you could literally complete them and then refund them on Steam, which... But to be fair, Soccer Clicker was only like two bucks to begin with. Right, so. yeah. I mean, how many hours do you have do you have on that one? <laughs> Can you refund that one, or is that a thousand times over? <laughs> it is, in its way, its own scar on my body. <laughs> It's a decision I made, and I have to stick with it. Everybody's got their tattoos. Yeah. But uh, I, I think a lot of it depends on the game and the price. Because, say you paid, like, 10 bucks, and that was your, like, MSRP. That was your retail price for a game. And it was, like, really great for the first five hours. And then it kind of, like, trailed off into an ending. A lot of games don't really know how to close out, right? Mm -hmm. um, you could be like, well... The fact that the ending was garbage kind of brought the game down a bit. But I got all of this enjoyment out of it, and it was really cheap. Um, I mean, in like a perfect society where money doesn't mean anything, you could judge games entirely based off of their content and not how much they cost. But until then, you know, we're competing against $200 collector's editions with statues and stuff in them and all of this. Yeah, as soon as you put a price point on it, you're saying, I think it is worth 
this. Mm -hmm. And you have to agree to actually purchase into it unless there's like a sale or something. So price will always definitely be a part of it. Yeah, I, think. I like to think of it even if it wasn't the best $60 game that I bought into. If you think of like how much a movie costs if you go see it or even just buy it. Right. Like let's say you get like a a Blu-ray I think is the current media. That's what they got uh, here from 20, the kids. 2018. <laughs> like let's say it's 15 bucks and it's like a two hour Is that what feature Blu-ray film? 15 bucks? I mean it depends on what it is. I don't know. I don't know. But let's say 15 to 20. Okay. Yeah. So you're at 750 to like 10 bucks an hour per entertainment unit, right? Right. If I go out to eat for like any decent meal, I'm paying at least 10 bucks. But do you eat for entertainment? Because well, I know no, I, I do. <laughs> it's not specifically entertainment, but you are getting enjoyment from it. You are benefiting from it. Right. You pay for happiness. In a way. <laughs> it's small bursts. <laughs> not the long-lasting happiness. Jake, are you trying to sell me drugs? <laughs> I've got some happiness here. <laughs> Opens trench coat. <laughs> not that happiness. <laughs> But if you think of it from like a movie standpoint, uh, it's always going to be like a pretty high ratio. Mm-hmm. But let's say you, I'm going to pick the recent game God of War. Yeah, I haven't played it myself. That boy, but it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I, it's around like sixty dollars, new release, right? But that has to have at least ten hours of content in the game, right? Mm-hmm. At least. So now you're about six dollars an hour, mm-hmm. which for an enjoyment ratio is pretty inexpensive. And in the U.S. is a terrible wage. Yes. <laughs> but if you have minimal wage, you can afford to play God of War all the time, pretty much. <laughs> so it it does depend. Like, it, Let's say you don't have the money to always get new releases and you need to wait. Maybe you're going to judge things a little more harshly, try and find something in your price point, but it would still get you enough enjoyment. Right. Like maybe you do subscribe to an MMO... And you just have that monthly fee. And that is your game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's fair. I I have played a lot of MMOs, but I tried to or recently I, I'm not as much. But one thing that has happened is I have so many other games mm-hmm. that are both either just in the backlog or they're what I'd like to call like staples, basically. Not to mean that's a derogatory term, but games that like hold their fun value. So like I can play Overwatch whenever. You know, I can play um, other games like that, like whenever. Yeah, if something is Dota, is a not single-player <laughs> content. Yeah, if it has a multiplayer element and it's fresh every time you go into a match or a game. It's good to have something like that. If you have like a couple of those and you're working like a nine-to-five, then you find that uh, you don't necessarily need an MMO. Like, if I didn't buy any games for the rest of this year, I would still have plenty of games to play. And I have so many games that the ones that I have played that are, like, single-player wouldn't be staples. I've actually forgotten about them by the time that you know, they come back up. I could play them again fresh. You have enough games and a short enough memory that... Yeah. Uh-huh. That's always huh, the gifts. <laughs> but jumping back a little bit to <clears throat> games on release, and we're talking about No Man's Sky... What would you say is a a hard no from something that would be coming out? Like, is it okay if a game 
does have a couple of issues day one. Is there any like forgiveness buffer there? I think you I think you have to have some forgiveness buffer, but a lot of it depends on the type of game. Um like kind of talking about MMOs for a second. I know that you're talking about No Man's Sky, but like almost every MMO has had like a really tough launch because it's actually really hard to anticipate that much network traffic yeah. and scale everything for it. Um and I don't think many people hold that against the games. But I mean talking about other games like a single player game um things it's actually a lot easier to think of things that are completely unacceptable Mm -hmm. i mean baseline game doesn't run there you go yeah if there's any crashes that's something it's like a hard break in the game where it literally stops you playing Mm -hmm. definite no yeah i would say a lot of graphical glitches that you see come up in a lot of bethesda games i also think that's unacceptable yeah like i understand like let's say you have a game as big as witcher 3 and there's some really obscure interaction that you didn't think about granted it happens horse physics mostly for that one yeah but if i'm going through what i consider to be normal course of gameplay or just tangenting off to like some degree of exploration i'd expect things to run smoothly and behave as a normal game yeah I'd say graphical glitches don't necessarily bother me as much um, unless the game's trying really hard to be immersive and it's just undermining itself. Um, and maybe that's just conditioning on the part of like the Elder Scrolls Scroll series and the Game Bureau engine in general, where it's just like, yeah, some stuff's going to be wonky. Yeah, it's, it's just the reality of it. And maybe I give them more slack for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, 100% crashes, just, if I was a kid, that wouldn't have bothered me nearly as much, because I'd be like, I have so much time to do this, but if you're in the middle of a game, and you're really into it, and then just straight up crashes, you're just like, ah, and I now have to wave playing this game against all of my other responsibilities again. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, yeah, that's a tough question, I'm trying to think of things a game could do wrong that I feel like they could fix later that wouldn't bother me as much. Because um, I feel like, for the most part, if you're looking like a single-player game, your game should be done, like, when it launches. If you have to have some, like, technical patches or things to, like, improve performance a little bit, I would like that your initial performance didn't, like, tank gameplay. If I'm sitting at, like, 40 frames and you, like, release a patch and now I'm at 50 frames, sweet. I can play the game at 40 frames. Um but there's, I don't know, beyond that, it's it's really tough to do. Yeah. Because I like analogies so much, I'm going to relate this back to food mm-hmm. to, to show my interests. Um, it'd be like if you had a meal out at a restaurant, and it wasn't the best in the world, but it was still decent. Mm-hmm. If you were to like complain and say, hey, this was kind of a bit below what I expected for like price point... Maybe they gift you, like, hey, here's a complimentary dessert. Right. But you can't go back and fix the food I already ate. Mm. It has already been eaten. You can't put in things afterwards to just fix it. Yeah. No, it's true. And games have, there have been examples of games where they, like, give players free things or whatever. If it's got, like, a microtransaction-based component, 
they had some technical trouble or something like that. But for the originals, we're just getting a game on a CD. I mean, it's it's on you as the developer to make sure that it works when you like put that CD in whatever drive. Yeah, like what are your options? Go back to the store. Hey, this um, <laughs> this doesn't work. It's bad. It's bad. I. It's no good. <laughs> I mean, they could maybe give you a different copy of the disc and hope mm-hmm. that runs better on your machine, but with the day and age we're at currently, technology's progressed far enough. People have enough experience making games where I consider at this point to be unacceptable yeah. for day one to have that many issues. I mean, it's kind of it's interesting because not everybody has all of that experience. It's still like a constant... free market. <laughs> yeah, it's like a free market, a constantly changing environment. Uh, and people are coming in all the time. Yeah, I think if you're indie or a small team, you definitely get a degree of leeway. And also, people want to see you succeed. You don't have the same financial backing and amount of resources. So people want to see you like, oh, they're getting better, they're improving. They've taken themselves from lowly commoners into game developers. Mm-hmm. I get to enjoy the cool product that they worked hard on. But it has to be a cool product, and you have to work hard on it. Those are the keys. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't care if you're indie. If your game's garbage, I'm still going to get upset. If you're flipping assets, and it's it should basically be a mobile game, fuck right off. Mm-hmm. Not to say like all mobile games are bad, but... We are heavily like, implying it, though. <laughs> I mean, we I'm grew up kidding. on like PC games and console, uh-huh. and something that you play on mobile, like... For example, like a Flappy Bird or something where you click or something like Farmville mm-hmm. is not an engaging thing that you'd be paying like $15 or up for. Right. Like mobile I'd pay games, way more. For, like, <laughs> for the microtransactions, yeah, it, yeah, it adds yeah. up. No, it's... I get what you're saying, though. Um, there's, there's no easy outs for it. It's really tough. It's really hard. You have to have a lot of passion for it. And you, have to, you have to follow through on all of the aspects. Like, just because you have a great story, if your game has crashes, it's going to ruin the experience. I want to cite real quick, Larian Studios, I Love You to Death, Divinity 2, Original Sin. Holy fuck, did I enjoy that game. And I still want to play it again with some people and start, like, a new campaign. He's going to give it a three. Maybe more than that. (laughs) (laughs) But when I was uh, playing with my friend, we did experience... Uh, random crashes at points to the game and we had gotten it on release so we kind of chalked it up to oh we're probably like the first people to get to this area no, this, right. this content they haven't worked out this kink yet right the developers didn't even make it this way i guess not <laughs> but that was something that really detracted because you'd go through like a fight and take maybe like half an hour or something else and then the game would crash and you're not doing like constant quick saves, right. nor do you want to. The game's immersive, then yeah. quick saving all the time actually takes you out of it. So if you lose progress like that, it is a huge fucking kick in the balls. Because I've lost the progress, I don't want to immediately repeat what I've done. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like tapped out of the game for the day. Yeah, maybe like over. you wait a week. I've had other things with that for PC releases like a Bioshock 2. I encountered that a lot, and I still haven't gone back to complete it because it just, it's too much effort that I'm putting into it. Which is a shame because I actually I'm one of three people in the world that really liked Bioshock too. 
at some point I would like to get around to it. But but in short, Divinity 2, reach out to us, get our DX dialog files, we'll get this wrapped up, get this <laughs> fixed. Want to make it a better game for our listeners. It's probably already patched, like, ridiculously. They really stay oh, I'm sure another it is. version of the game, I think, at this point. The mandatory year of the game release. <laughs> Right now, I want to switch to talking about loot boxes a little bit. Oh. Or not necessarily loot boxes in general, but any type of... It checks the clock. <laughs> any type of viable content you can get for a game. Okay, so like content. With some randomization. Microtransactions. Yeah. Um, certain things are like, we've talked about Payday 2 before, mm-hmm. has a shit ton of DLC packs where you can get custom... Weapons, skins, characters, maps, other things. Mm-hmm. But you're buying it like a piece at a time. You at least know what you're getting in the pack. So you're, you're talking about like chests, randomized, randomized uh, drops. Well, we can talk about both. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's fine. I think, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. My current opinion is that while I'm not a fan of most things in general, I like being able to unlock things like oh hey cool i unlocked the skin for this character i play a lot makes me appreciate the game a little bit more it'll be a little more invested Mm. i don't like if i have to spend money and hope to get that thing right most recent example being dota 2 uh, battle pass which i did invest in i like playing dota 2 with people Mm. so i like investing in the stuff i like the cosmetics they do usually really cool but there are certain ones that I have to either wait for it to go on market, in which case it'll be spiked up to like $200. They don't always go on market either, That's right? That's true. There's they don't exclusives. Always. But I kind of have to keep buying the same chest and essentially rolling for it. Yeah. So that kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very topical right now, the yeah. gambling in games. I think it is nicer, though, if it is something that's just cosmetic. Like, League of Legends has a decent model where if you want to unlock certain skins for a character, you can use, like, actual in-game points that you've accrued from playing Mm -hmm. to, like, further your investment on a given character or champion. Right. Which I'm fine with having it that way. Or, like I said with Dota 2, I am even fine going out and just buying it for my own enjoyment to get that cool cosmetic effect in game but as long as it's not something that's mechanically locked behind a paywall or actual game content it's kind of funny and i mean like i know we both heard this argument before and maybe we'll have a dedicated episode to loot boxes at some point but uh the the argument against that of course is that cosmetics are content which you know, mm-hmm. like that argument. Um, and I was, you know, I, I fall basically in the same camp where I'm just like, I'd rather it be cosmetics. Because I mean, like, I know development takes time. I know it takes money. I want to see the games that I really love be successful and be around for a long time, provide me lots of content. Right. That I don't have to, like, I don't have to dump a lot of money for. So it, I don't feel bad when I 
buy up, you know, treasures or loot boxes or whatever. Because I'm like, ah, I get some cool stuff. None of it matters. Um, and I feel I feel almost like I, you know, I'm supporting the developer in that, which is you know what I'm doing. But I do concede that I spend a lot more money in games where they have these random role systems and I maybe maybe it's more than I should right that's that's the caveat right is that people spend more money when it is random yeah I think the hope is that you always you could get something cool right so the same with like having like magic card booster packs there's always going to be a guaranteed rare in that 15 card pack right but maybe it's like the legendary. Maybe it's the mythic one. Maybe it's the one that's worth like forty bucks. It's the same way in Hearthstone. Yeah, guaranteed rare. But it's obviously going to be more typically like a shitty one versus an amazing one. Because mm-hmm. they want to keep that incentive. Like, oh, maybe you'll get something cool. But if you constantly got cool things, there wouldn't really be a point for you to do it as much. It would kind of devalue a lot of those. Right, rarer items, or in like a game like Hearthstone, rares are not uh, usually nearly as impactful, and there are all obviously exceptions, but usually impactful or nearly as expensive as epics, which is like even if you didn't have any legendaries or like mythics, kind of like any your magic deck, like there's better cards than the quality you're guaranteed to get for sure. Well, yeah, they still make shitty mythics or rares mm-hmm. but i mean like the things that you build your deck around you're not guaranteed whenever you open a pack obviously which is yeah. just reinforcing your point point. and i think this kind of ties back to our original uh like topic here of like when a game is actually done and that sometimes it can feel like you're playing a game and because there's so much content out there that you don't have or that it's like locked behind money even if you have all of the content all of the like mechanical content you can feel really far behind like tf2 obviously starting tf2 i mean tf2 is probably a better example because there was actual mechanical content locked behind random drops yeah and um i mean most of the items you could craft pretty easily but you didn't have them at some point and that matters. Like, if you're playing a game for the first time and you don't have access to, you know, the back burner or whatever meta weapon exists right now in TF2, I don't know. Um, it sucks really. It sucks a lot to die to something you do, you can't field, right? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I've always hated TF2. <laughs> this is just like a personal thing. I've never had a huge enjoyment for it. But then going in and playing against people who have these different items which behave differently Uh and have the potential to do more damage and other things i'm just like i okay okay yeah like somebody left click on me i can't really stop that so you're at like a severe disadvantage and if you're just coming into a game it sucks Mm -hmm. it sucks to have that huge disparity between like from a multiplayer context like a new player and your friend who's covered in like neon it's like i will show you the way right by pounding you into the ground repeatedly and it's it's worth noting for our tf2 fans that listen uh, i recognize that 
most of the default kit is actually like statistically the best or in certain play styles like the best way to actually play like all of that's fine and great but when i play i play with like a, a spy with a dead ringer and the spicicle and like a custom gun and all this stuff and it's like if you're just a new player and you don't have access to any of that and you're, and you're playing the spy like he's originally meant to be played mm -hmm. that's not the way i come at you and that's not the way you can come at me so that's the part that sucks yeah, ideally it would be nice to have a level playing field for new and legacy players alike. It's part of the reasons why I like Dota. It's fresh each time. It doesn't have the runes or mastery systems that League of Legends did. Mm -hmm. So even if you've been playing for a while, you're still at that same point as a new player. Obviously you're going to be a little bit more better. More better, Jesus Christ. You know I mean? <laughs> you're going to be more practiced, more yeah. experienced. You should be better at the game. You should almost consistently kick that person's ass. Right. But it's a fresh start every time, clean slate, which is nice. And I think, I think that the industry has decided and the, the community has decided it is fine to have unlocks in your game. Like, they've been around as far as unlocks, like when I've been gaming since, like, you know, Modern Warfare, whatever. Like, you play through, level up, get new guns, whatever. And... I mean, that's not hugely off from, you know, what we're describing because new players don't necessarily have that. Mm -hmm. But I think part of the difference there is there's this uh, sensation and reality that progressing through the game gets you that, right? And you know that you're going to unlock that next perk. You're going to get that next weapon. That's one of the things that really sold that game was this sense of progression, why so many people played multiplayer. If everybody had everything and it just was down to just the gameplay, it would have still succeeded, because mm -hmm. COD's fun to play. But, I mean, for me personally, as a progression guy, I like working towards something. Yeah, it is definitely nice to unlock something. Like, I remember I had Prestige recently, I'm like, oh, wait, I don't have the... Oh, shit. So I had to go back in and grind out getting back to... Um, an AWP mm -hmm. or something. Wop. 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 <laughs> but it was fun to start over again at that point. I know Payday 2 also has a prestige system. Right, Infamy. Infamy it's called. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to... Titanfall did as well. Like, you've earned your stripes, go back in with the pubs, and you get to earn your way back. Right. But you could keep getting these unlockables with Infamy for Payday 2. Mm -hmm. Where like, oh, you've reach infamy twice you can now unlock the super cool mask you're like oh that's pretty dope yeah but what's nice about that is it's not gated behind any monetization right you have to earn your way there and it's not content it's just cosmetic right it's your way of saying like hey i play this game a shit ton i'm good at it yeah payday gives you like a slight bonus and that your skill trees are a little bit the prerequisites to hit the next tier is like a little bit lower so you didn't have to invest as many points and things you didn't like but it was a very minor bonus and the game's like a cooperative game so it's like oh this guy put one less point in the ghost tree and he has the max skill who cares yeah you're not gonna fuck over yourself or your team based off that yeah i think um 
I think that that's the important distinction is in these games the progression is gameplay whereas if it's just blocked off by a wall um like money shouldn't be an alternative to gameplay is the key underlying thing here like the progression itself is your gameplay in cod you're always Mm -hmm. getting new stuff um always pushing forward where it's like hey i just started playing this free-to-play game and if i drop 20 bucks on it i can have an in-game weapon you're just like that's not gameplay and it's not fun and we do put up with it and i mean like not that i've trying to think if i ever spent 20 bucks on a weapon that was just statistically better for no reason but i can't think of an example for you i do know you invested cosmetically into dota 2 for enigma's golden bracers that is true a lot of money that year actually are you comfortable saying how much it was it was over a hundred dollars i spent on that compendium um what would you say the maximum you ever spent on a compendium was, Dave? Well, I usually buy in at like the $10 price point, mm-hmm. or the Battle Pass, or whichever it is. Do you pick up the additional levels for I have definitely each? sunk some additional levels in. Yeah. Because like all... this time I, I did just buy in at like the 37 It's like, give me some starter levels, give me some of those unlockables. Mm-hmm. And I still want to go in and unlock more things through progression and doing quests and of my own achievement but I also don't have the time to play a shit ton of it so I see that as obviously the cosmetic stuff's for me Mm -hmm. for my own added enjoyment of the game but also it's going towards the prize pool for the next TI awesome more power to it it's like I try not to sink a shit ton of money into it because I realize at the end of the day it's nothing right but it is entirely your prerogative like if i were to cut out all the games in my life because i mean tomorrow if i don't play games at all then it would be like i don't have a steam library it'd be like you know it's it's all it's all temporary it's all temporal none of it matters spend money on whatever makes you happy i guess unless that hurts other people or yourself but the (laughs) the 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 thing here is I don't actually, like, I've grown a little more disillusioned with the whole setup for Dota as time goes on, especially with the fact, like, yeah, some of the money does go to the prize pool, and that's sweet, and that's one of the reasons I, like, I never felt bad throwing money at it, unless it was, like, really crazy, like, over $100, like, that one year, but it's 25%. It's 25% of what you spend is what goes to the prize pool, and so... The person, the people benefiting from 75% of that happiness is Valve, 25% of that is the players. Um, and I'm, I, I couldn't tell you what the ratio should be, and I don't know what they spend on events and stuff like that, but I suspect they make money. <laughs> and that's not evil, you know, it's... No, it's... Companies like that, they're always businesses, they're trying to make money at the end of the day. Which is fine. It's fair. Mm-hmm. That is how they make their money. But if you have 17 people who are trying to get your money, you have to be a little bit discerning of who should get it and why. Now, part of that comes down to what I'm in the mood for when I want to go out to eat. Part of it is which games I want to play 
based off what my interests are or which games look good because hmm. sometimes I will see like a triple A $60 game like that looks fucking oof and I'll pick it up and I'll have a great time right so like Monster Hunter was one that I recently got when I was playing on PS4 with you and some other people right and I still have some of my issues with the game like unskippable cutscenes <laughs> but I've really enjoyed that game I spent a decent amount of time on it and I plan to continue to do so and I will always consider that a good purchase yeah but there are other things I've got which was based off of almost just hype alone Mighty Number no. 9 oh there's going to be a spiritual successor <laughs> to Mega Man thank god that's going to be awesome <laughs> original developer oh I'm so excited and it was a piece of shit so as always so where Divinity got a 3 Mighty Number no. 9 only gets a 2 <laughs> only gets a 2 for sure <laughs> so it's always one of those things where you want to keep an eye out and try and go off of a combination of like what's the reputation of this company mm-hmm. if I've had good experiences with them before are they well rated is this something I'd be willing to invest in because anytime you make a purchase unless it's like groceries which you can actively see and feel mm-hmm. there's a possibility it's not going to be up to snuff maybe you order something on Amazon doesn't fit quite right so basically, listeners, I'm just saying, go out with a, a discerning eye. Yeah. I would uh, bring this back to the, the, the Dota thing. Yes, the Omni Knight Praise the Sun emote is really cool. I want it to. Is it worth $300 to get your level that high to get it? That's up to you. I'm going to go with no. <laughs> and I'll hold it against Valve that they put it that high up. It's my that's my job, but I think altogether uh, we probably painted a decent picture of what makes a complete game and what we're willing to put up with and what we wouldn't anymore, uh, even as uh, adults with occasionally money, <laughs> working jobs and things like that. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to yet another episode of Soapstone. I'm really glad that you guys have stuck with us this long, or if this is the first time that you've listened, that you stuck hey, with us to the end of this. that long. Right? Yeah, it's exactly. Still a of time. I feel like I know you some at this point, right? <laughs> We've got this heart to heart. But until next time, I'm Jake. And I'm Dave. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye.